money, markets, investments. That's it. Get ready for insights, opinions, and discussions you will not hear at your local bank, on mainstream business television, or from ivory tower advisors. My name is Adrian Harsimiu, and I am the Recovering Bankster. Hello, and welcome back to the Recovering Bankster podcast. I'm your host, Adrian Harasimiu, here with episode number five, broadcasting deep within the prairie land of Canada. For those of you returning to hear more, thank you for taking the time from your busy schedule to tune in once again. I respect and appreciate the fact that you make a conscious effort to spend some of your valuable time with me. If this is your first toe-dipping-in-water experience with the show, Thank you for taking the chance and listening in. I won't pretend that this journey is for everyone, as my discussions are quite bumpy in nature. But for those searching out for honest and thought-stimulating information about money, markets, and investments, I'm confident you have found a place to spend 20 minutes of your week. Please consider listening to some of the previous episodes to build more context in all the matters I discuss. Remember, this is not a mainstream boring, and predictable show. My mission is to challenge our perceptions about these money, market, and investment subject matters. No, I'm not about conspiracy theories. I am about looking at the world through a different lens. With that, time to dive right back into the recovering bankster weeds. As always, for your safety, grab your beverage of choice and buckle up. Firstly, for those who had the satisfaction of sitting through my blitz on central bankers in the last episode, I'd like to clarify a matter. In recent weeks, we've heard much about the Fed bazookas unleashed upon the March market meltdown, with long-term effects yet to be seen. So, in last week's episode, I unleashed my own small bazooka on Ben Bernanke, former chair of the Fed. Some of you may be wondering why I'm picking on a Fed chairman, especially a former one. Better yet, I'm hoping some of you are more concerned about me picking on only one Fed chair. It's for you that I say worry not, more to come. But, as is becoming more and more evident to those of you listening from the very beginning of this journey in episode 0, I have five core tenets, or themes, working in the background of all of my discussions. I find central banks to be in direct opposition to most, if not all of them. As a broad example, as an advocate of free market capitalism, I subscribe to the belief that markets and economies work best through the unfettered interactions between individuals and private interests. The price the producer offers to the consumer is the producer's choice to make. If the consumer doesn't like that price, he as the consumer is free to find another producer willing to sell the same quality product at a lower price. If no such producer exists, the consumer is now in a position to become such a producer to take on the current monopoly of the high-priced producer, to bring that producer down a peg or two. If there is no way to produce that particular product at the new lower price and still earn a profit, this is the market pointing out that the resources used to make this product are not being used efficiently 
and thus the producer is better off finding a better use of those said resources. Again, it's the actions of the market, the collection of individuals pursuing their own best interest, that dictates the best allocation of resources, including time. It is not some central authority calling the shots. It should be no different with interest rates, among other things. An interest rate is the price of money. It's no different than what I just described with the producer and consumer. In other words, the free and unfettered interactions between individuals and businesses should choose the best going interest rate to clear the market. For a couple of generations now, we have rightfully been mocking the central planning systems of regimes in the now defunct USSR, as well as the current command economies in places like North Korea and China. We feel how ridiculous it is that government commands every aspect of human life. Yet many in our own society barely flap an eye when our own central banks do the same here. That is command the price of money. Don't believe me? Here's what the Federal Reserve website it very self says on its own FAQ page. Quote, The Fed's monetary policy decisions truly affect the financial lives of all Americans, not just the spending decisions we make as consumers, but also the spending decisions of businesses, about what they produce, how many workers they employ, and what investments they make in their operations. End quote. Still believe your decisions are unfettered? Still don't see the interference in a supposed free market? Another example is the lack of integrity shown by these central bankers. They continue their smoke and mirror show, making statements and forecasts they're never held to account for. If I did the same as a business owner, I would soon be called out, lose my business as well as my livelihood. What gives with the double standard? In particular, you heard my three exhibits regarding Mr. Ben Bernanke. There are more examples, but I figured three were sufficient to get my point across while not losing you to deep sleep. In any case, why is he able to make such ludicrous remarks and yet continues to garner so much esteem? For lack of better expression, it blows my mind. And if you think I'm being unfair by signaling out Mr. Bernanke, here's a doozy from another former chair. Quote, Would I say there will never ever be another financial crisis? You know, probably that would be going too far. But I do think we're much safer, and I hope that it will not be in our lifetimes, and I don't believe it will be. End quote. That's from Mrs. Janet Yellen, June 27th of 2017, while she was still chair of the U.S. Federal Reserve. While the chair spoke, we must all bow and take heed of her infinite wisdom. And yet, only 18 months later, once in the comfort of a new position at the Brookings Institute, she changed her mind. Hopefully not because she was fired, in a manner of speaking, by President Donald Trump. Oh my goodness! On December 10th of 2018, in an interview, she said, quote, I think things have improved, but then I think there are gigantic holes in the system. 
the tools that are available to deal with the emerging problems are not great in the United States, end quote. So the very system she was heading only a few years earlier has gigantic holes in it. In that same interview, she went to say, quote, I do worry that we could have another financial crisis, end quote. Thumbs up, Janet, for not doing anything about it when you were chair, only to go on and complain about the system once you were removed. Yep, that's integrity for you. Before moving on, I would like to clear up another brief thought many of you may be having. It's actually something I've mind wrestled with myself, so I wouldn't blame you for wondering it as well. Adrian keeps saying he's broadcasting from deep within the prairie land of Canada, and yet much of his focus is on what's happening in the U.S. What gives? The main reason for this is because the U.S. is such a significant global economy and investment market. It's difficult to ignore what occurs across the border. Consequently, much of what happens in the U.S. bleeds out into other markets, especially to Canada, due to our close proximity and relationship. While so many countries, especially in the West, like to think they're not connected to the U.S., the reality is quite different. As the saying goes, when the U.S. sneezes, the rest of these countries catch a cold. Moreover, so many people look to the U.S. for guidance on all things money, markets, and investments. So it would be rather foolish of me to ignore the U.S. in my discussions. I'll grant you that I should give more airtime to the Canadian market, and I will, don't you worry, but I want you to understand why I spend so much time on the U.S. markets. Which now, I hope prepares you for my next foray into more news out from the U.S. Fed. On April 9th, 2020, the U.S. Fed announced another infusion of more money to combat what it believes to be market instability due to the coronavirus. In this effort, another $2.3 trillion of relief is on its way. The motives, at least at first, sound altruistic. Indeed, lending money to small and medium businesses, as well as state and local governments, sounds like a helping hand at a time when such entities are battered by the effects of the virus pandemic. In the here and now, it's just what the doctor ordered, whomever that doctor may be. Okay, but the medicine does not stop there, my friends. Far from it. In fact, who really knows where it ends? This fresh new package also includes funds to buy some types of high-yield bonds, also known as junk bonds, collateralized loan obligations, usually affectionately referred to as CLOs in the mainstream business media, as well as commercial mortgage-backed securities. Yes, you heard about MBSs during the last financial crisis. I know, what gives? I bet you thought we learned our lesson. Guess not. The current Fed chair, Jerome Powell, said this in defense of his Fed's actions, as quoted in a Bloomberg article. Quote, We will continue to use these powers forcefully, proactively, and aggressively, until we are confident that we are solidly on the road to recovery. End quote. You don't say. Forcefully? I didn't know there was a force to be used in a free market capitalist economy. My friends, Remember his words in years to come. 
I'm sure I'll be talking about this statement at some point in the future, so stay tuned. Now, for the part that really gets my Irish up as the saying goes. Firstly, Mr. Powell is quoted in the same Bloomberg article with the following, quote, Our country's highest priority must be to address this health crisis. The Fed's role is to provide as much relief and stability as we can during this period of constrained economic activity, and our actions will help ensure that the eventual recovery is as vigorous as possible. End quote. Yet, according to the Federal Reserve Act, as mandated by Congress, the Fed's objectives are, and I'm quoting here again from the same Fed FAQ webpage that I quoted from earlier, number one, maximum employment, which means all Americans that want to work are gainfully employed, and number two, stable prices for the goods and services we all purchase. Aside from going down another rabbit hole of dismantling these two mandates, I grow confused because in reading about this story from Bloomberg, which I provide the link in the description below or in the notes section of the podcast webpage, I read the following. Quote, investors quickly bid up prices on corporate bonds and stocks after the announcement. High yield debt was among the highest gainers Quote, investors quickly bid up prices on corporate bonds and stocks after the announcement. High-yield debt was among the biggest gainers, with some of the largest ETFs tracking those bonds surging the most in a decade. But the nature of the Fed's actions passed the traditional bounds of the central banks to purchase lower-rated debt and the credit of municipalities, raising questions about its future. End quote. Traditional boundaries, you think? In the two objectives that the Fed itself admits to being limited to, the ones I just listed a couple of minutes ago, is there any word about purchasing bonds, regardless of credit grade? Adrian, you're an investor. Why are you so riled up about this? Markets went up. What's wrong with that? I'm concerned about the growing moral hazard at play here. In taking these actions, I see the Fed as making two implicit statements. Firstly, they are flaunting their powers to do whatever it takes. As an entity that was created by an act of Congress, they should not be able to do whatever it takes. We've entered the gray areas over a decade ago, but things are getting grayer, not more black and white. If the objectives granted by Congress are not limited to the two stated earlier, where do the Fed's powers actually stop? Will soon they be confiscating assets because us peons are too irresponsible to own and administer them ourselves? Again, where do their powers stop? Secondly, more so from the investment perspective, why should an investor be concerned about this? And to this point, I have to present two arguments. The primary argument is the creation, or as some would argue maintenance, of what's called a Fed put. It means businesses can make whatever decisions they want the risk be damned, because no matter what actions the business makes, the Fed will be there to swoop in and save the day. In turn, this means investors don't feel the need to do any due diligence, thus investing in and supporting businesses just because nothing can go wrong for any of their investments. As the investor, 
What would you care if the business you invested in makes reckless decisions, as long as it's saved by the Fed? This is a squandering of valuable resources. It's a squandering of money. Money should be flowing through investment in ownership, i.e. stocks, and through lending facilities, i.e. bonds, to prudent companies who are out to make a profit through the creation of value. Value is achieved when consumers purchase the product or service because it enhances or at least supports their life. By creating this backstop, the Fed is squashing the effective and efficient movement of what should be limited investment resources. There's a reason the process of investing and making money is risky and takes time. Investors are supposed to work hard to find and allocate money to those companies providing value, not just some willy-nilly companies. Remember the dot-com bubble that burst in 2000? That was a time when money was just flowing into companies that did, did not even have any revenue. That's right, all you needed was a domain name and suddenly you were worth millions, if not billions. That is moral hazard. The Fed is allowing it to happen again. But believe me, I don't like seeing investment returns tumble, let alone get hammered. But setting a precedent that any and all businesses will be bailed out, no matter their actions, is a very dangerous one to set, or perpetuate, as is the case today. The process of privatizing profits and socializing the losses must be stopped. And no, I'm not advocating socializing the profits either. Until such time that both profits and losses are privatized, we will not be living in a free market economy. The second argument I made in the previous episode, and that's the inherent inflation that will be experienced as a result of all this excess money being pumped into the system. It may not be felt right away, but its effects will eventually shine through. At the very least, any investor should be asking, is the market rising due to growing value being produced? Or is it rising because all this excess money is flooding into it? Just because your shares of XYZ have doubled, it does not mean that your wealth has doubled if a price of loaf of bread, or a tank of gas, or a case of beer, or what have you, has doubled as well. <sighs> but anyways, I'm talking myself hoarse by now, and I'm sure this bumpy road has left some of you nauseous, so let's end it here before lunches are lost. Before I bid you adieu though, if you're so inclined, I'd appreciate you sharing this episode with just one person that you think will benefit from hearing it. Don't be ashamed that you're enjoying listening to this unabashed conversation. If you're enjoying it, someone else you know is bound to enjoy it too. The simplest way to share it is just to give out the unforgettable www.recoveringbankster.com. And also, don't forget to subscribe yourself and leave comments and reviews. If you'd like to connect with me directly, you can do so through www.adrianinvests.ca. Until next time, my friends, stay safe, keep your integrity, and see you at the pinnacle. And to close out this episode, a friendly but professional reminder. 
This podcast is for informational purposes only and shall not be construed to constitute any form of investment or investment advice. The views expressed are those of the host and or guest where applicable and not necessarily those of any businesses associated with Adrian Harasimian. Information has been compiled from sources believed to be reliable, but no representation or warranty, express or implied, is made by any person as to its accuracy, completeness, or correctness. All opinions expressed are as of the date of this podcast episode and are subject to change without notice. The information is prepared for general circulation and has been prepared without regard to the individual financial circumstances and objectives of persons who receive it. You should not act or rely on this information without seeking the advice of the appropriate professional. Products or services referenced may not be suitable for you, and it is recommended that you consult with a financial advisor if you are in doubt about the suitability of such investments or services. Thank you for listening to today's episode.